You'll turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew. You'll read from chapter 22, verses 23 through 33. That is the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 23 through 33. And it reads as follows. On that day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and questioned him, and saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his father, as next of kin shall marry his wife, and raise up an offspring to his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third, down to the seventh. And last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven shall she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry, nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Thank you, and please be seated. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for being with us today. I'm very grateful for you and your interest in God and God's Word that you'd be with us. And if you're visiting with us, we're very happy to have you. And we want to wish you a very happy new year as we begin this new calendar year, first day of the week. And if there's anything we can do to be of help with you or for you spiritually, we want to be able to do that. And I am always very grateful for the men who lead us in worship service. They do such a fine job, and I hope that you'll take a moment or two just to show appreciation for the good work that they do, the reading of the scriptures and the prayers, the waiting on the table, the singing. We're all very grateful for the work that they do as they contribute to our worship service. It's a very important work, and we're thankful for every one of them. As you study Matthew chapter 22, you're looking at a very interesting episode in the life of Jesus. Sometimes I've heard people say, you know, I just don't like debates, and I don't like religious debates. I just don't think they should be doing religious debates. You need to be careful about saying that, because in Matthew 22, you have the master responder responding to a proposition which is given to him by the Sadducees. There was no greater debater than Jesus. And even though no one wants to be ugly and unkind in a situation, a public platform, still it is a wonderful way to present the truth and to learn the truth. And Jesus knew this with regard to these particular people, those who were hearing him. And these Sadducees came to him. The Sadducees were the Jewish liberals of the day. They didn't believe in spirits, they didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They were the ones who were more compromising in their view toward the Roman culture, and they accepted a number of things that the Pharisees would not accept. They were more strict and more religious in their viewpoint, that is, the Pharisees. But the Sadducees were people who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and thus they were prompted to ask Jesus this question. Now, it goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 5. It's known as the Leveret Law of Marriage. And as you read that Old Testament passage, then you're going to learn that God had given them the instruction 
that if there was a husband and wife, the husband died, not having any children, then the wife could become the wife of his brother, and there having children by her, so that the name would continue, and that it would propagate throughout the families of Israel. Well, here they think they come up with a real mind twister here, and they say, well, now here's a woman that had seven husbands. Who shall she be in the resurrection? And of course, they're using this as a hypothetical. This hypothetical is designed to put Jesus on the spot. This hypothetical is designed to show that there is no resurrection of the dead. But Jesus really turns the tables upon them. And he says in this particular passage, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God, verse 29. Now, I'm sure no one likes to be told that they're wrong. No one likes to be told that they're wrong religiously. And he makes no bones about that particular matter. You're wrong. You're wrong for two reasons. You're wrong because you don't know the scriptures. And you're wrong because you don't know the power of God. Because if you knew the Scriptures, and if you knew the power of God, you would see that they are neither in heaven, they neither are married nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God. Now what Jesus meant by that particular statement was, in heaven we don't need the human institution of marriage. Here on earth, husbands and wives need each other <coughs> to provide a family and a nurturing environment for children to be loved and to be taught and provided. In heaven, you don't need the human institution of marriage. Here we do. In heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God. He says another particular matter that is interesting to me, and that is found for us in verse 31. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God. And when I read that, that resonated with me, that particular statement and question. Have you not read which was written to you by God? And that was really the source of their problem. They have not been reading what was given to them by God. And I want to focus on that particular sentence and that particular aspect of the paragraph. And I think there's a lot that can be learned with regard to us, especially on this new day of the new year. Have you not read what was said to you by God? And one of the first things that I think we need to know about this passage and remember it, and I hope we do, and that is that God has spoken. And he's saying to these, have you not read what God said to you? God spoke. God is there, and He is not silent. God has revealed His divine will. I hasten to think, and I speculate about the matter just briefly, what life would be like if God had not spoken, and the unfathomable vacuum and darkness that there would be if God had never spoken. The Void would be incomprehensible to me if God had never said anything. But God is there, and God has spoken. Have you not read what God spoke to you? God has revealed. 
In the long ago, Genesis chapter 1, nine times the Bible writer says, And God said. One time he said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God said, Let there be a firmament above, and it was so. And God said, Let there be the dry ground below, and it was so. Nine times it tells us that God said, and it happened just exactly the way God said it would happen. It would be unbelievable for God to be there and not speak. And God has spoken. A beautiful passage along this line would have to be Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. In fact, that whole paragraph there is a discussion about God and His revealing Himself. And notice how He phrases it in Hebrews 1 verse 1. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now that's my point right there, God spoke. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir, the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture. God has spoken. And the long ago, He spoke in many different ways. The focus of the passage is, now He speaks to us through His Son. There were ways in which God spoke in the past through visions and dreams and in different ways, but now He speaks through Christ. He'd spoken in the past by the seer and by the prophet, but now He speaks through His Son, Jesus. The point of emphasis for the present, God has spoken. And it's just beyond my ability to imagine an idea that if God were there, He had not spoken. And I'm thankful, thankful that God has spoken. If God had not spoken, I cannot imagine the kind of world that we'd be living in. David said, 2 Samuel 23 and 2, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. And you'll remember the passage very well. Chapter 4, verse 1. God has spoken. And I cannot imagine a world in which God had not spoken. And I'm grateful that He has. So grateful that God has decided in His infinite wisdom that He has revealed Himself. Now at the point of the passage at the present is in chapter 22... Jesus has saying to these Sadducees, you don't understand. This point about the resurrection, you're mistaken. You're wrong on that. There is a resurrection from the dead. Because you're wrong because you don't know what God has spoken to you. And the first important plank of this understanding has got to be the fact that God did speak. And that that revelation is before us. But I want you to know what he says also in a second way, and for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And I'm reading for you verse 32. What God has said has been written down. I can read it. In fact, when we understand the fact that God has spoken, now I understand the fact that God has written these particular matters down. There was a time in the past when God would speak through the burning bush. I'm going to allude to that in a minute. As Jesus quoted that in Exodus 3 and 6, 
There was a time when God spoke to people by means of a dream like Joseph. And he told Joseph about how God had a divine plan for him that he'd be elevated into that position that he was in the nation of Egypt. God spoke to Daniel by means of a vision. And what a great vision he had as he stood before the great king of his day and interpreted the dream because God had given him the understanding and the knowledge. There was a time when God spoke through an animal in the days of Balaam, how that Balaam wanted to curse the people of God for money's sake, but God wouldn't let it happen. And on the way to the appointed place, there the animal actually spoke by means of the power of God to Balaam, the prophet, the book of Numbers. What a wonderful thing it is that God has spoken. But now, he doesn't speak by means of dreams and visions. He's not going to speak through any kind of animal like he did in the past. He's not going to speak through a burning bush as he did on one occasion to Moses. Now, Hebrews 1 and 1, he speaks through that which is written. And that's the reason we use the word today, Scripture. Scripture is a word that comes into our English language, which means that which has been written down. Go back to our text for a moment in verse 29. And Jesus answered them, You are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. You don't understand what's been written down. God has spoken, and He's spoken that which has been written. On one occasion, God from the burning bush, Moses said, I want to go up there and see that site. A bush that continues to burn, but is never consumed. And so he goes up and he sees the site, and God speaks from the bush, speaks to Moses. You know what he told him? He said, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. Moses takes off his shoes. Take your sandals off, you're on holy ground. God is speaking to them. In that particular regard, Jesus referenced that matter. He said, you remember what God said through the Scripture? How that God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? You remember what He said through the Scripture? You do not know the Scripture and what God said in the Scripture. That's how God speaks today. God's not going to speak by means of visions and dreams and that sort of thing, regardless of how people might think or wish. But God speaks today to man through the Scripture that which has been written down. That's his point in verse 29. You're wrong because you know neither the Scripture nor the power of God. As for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God has said? How did he say it? He said it through the Scripture. Verse 29 and verse 32. Now I wasn't there at the time. Wish I was. Wish I was. I wasn't there at the time when God said, let there be light. I wish I was. I know it's hypothetical. I'm just kind of daydreaming here about fantasizing about what it might have been like for God to say, let there be light, and there was light. It wasn't there. It wasn't there when God said from the burning bush, take off your shoes if you're on holy ground. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob, and the God of Isaac. I wasn't there. Wish I had been. You know, on the day, Exodus chapter 20, God came down 
there upon that mountain, somewhere over there east of the Dead Sea. I wish I knew where that was. I got my ideas about it. But I wasn't there when God spoke from the mountain and gave the law of God to Moses and the people were there and they were filled with such fear. They saw the lightning, they heard the thunder, they felt the earth quaking. And in that particular regard, they saw and experienced all those particular matters. I wish I had heard that when God actually spoke to Moses. There was a day when a big crowd come from Jerusalem, Judea, and all the region round about. There was a great prophet of God preaching and teaching, and multitudes were coming to hear him preach. His name was John. All the action stops when Jesus comes up to be baptized in the Jordan River. John's baptizing multitudes in the Jordan. Prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his path straight. He's a fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. That was John. Jesus walks up to be baptized of John. John says, I have need to be baptized from you. Why would you come up to be baptized by me? And Jesus said, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And John baptized Jesus, immersed him in the Jordan River. Do you know what happened next? A voice from heaven spoke. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I wish I could have been there to hear that. When God spoke, wish I could have heard it. On one occasion, Jesus goes up into a mountain. I don't know which mountain it was. I got my ideas about it. But I really don't know which mountain it was. And it took three men with him, Peter, James, and John. And there he is transfigured before them. About the best way to translate that word, transfigured, comes up before us is the idea of the inward nature has now been manifested. That's about the simplest way I know how to explain that word. And some, it goes back to metamorphosis, you know, a scientific term about a moth, a butterfly, that kind of thing, a pupil going into a moth or whatever they do. Change. Inward change. And Christ's inward nature was changed before them. And what did they see? It was as bright as light, and it was like the sun. And you know what happened next? God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. That's Matthew chapter 17. And they heard that. When God spoke. I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have been there on the occasion when God actually spoke those words. And that I could have heard them like Peter, James, and John heard them. But I can still hear them. No, I can't hear them as they were audibly given physically. But when I'm reading the scripture, that which is written down, 
Now I'm reading the words of God. When I'm reading the Scripture, the Word of God, then I know God has spoken and that I can know what God has said, though I wasn't there. I wish I had been, but I can know what was said and I can know what was going on. And it was a fearful thing for them to hear God speak. Now let's examine that. In Exodus chapter 20, I'm going to go back to that passage. And I've been referring to it as it is mentioned in our study today. I'm going to Exodus chapter 20, and then I'm going to look at about, um, oh, I suppose verse 18 is a good spot. Let's see what happened when God did speak to them. In Exodus 20 and 18, now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of the lightning and all the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, we're at Sinai, you remember, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. It was a fearful thing to hear God speak. Now you speak to us. You go up there and you speak to God and you come back and you tell us what God said because we don't want God to speak to us. It's a fearful thing. If God speaks to us, we will die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. It was a fearful thing to hear God speak. And the people were so afraid. Let you do the speaking to us. We're afraid when God speaks to us. In Exodus chapter 3, I've made mention of that passage already. I had to because Jesus quoted Exodus chapter 3. And so I had to make mention of that particular matter. In this particular instance, I think I'll read a portion of it. When the Lord saw, verse 4, that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 6. That's Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. And when he heard God speak, he was afraid. And he's afraid to look at God. And God said, take off your shoes, for the ground is holy ground. Now let me ask you a question. What do you think Moses did? God told him to take off his shoes. Wonder what Moses took his shoes off. When God told him to do something, Moses did it. Now, let me think about this. If you were there, let me get this straight. If you were there and God told you to take your shoes off because the ground was holy, what would you do? I expect you'd take your shoes off because God told you to do something. Now let me think about this. God has spoken through the scripture, that which is written down. I can't be there because God said that to Moses, but I'm reading it. 
And now he's saying it to me through the scripture. And if God told me to take my shoes off, would I do it? I'd do it. What if God told you in the scriptures to repent and change your life for what is right? Would you do it? Now, it's a fearful thing to hear the voice of God. And the people were so afraid, they said, no, wait a minute, don't, you talk to us. Don't let God speak to us because we're too afraid. Now, if God told you to repent of your sins and to be baptized, that is, immersed for the remission of your sins, would you do it? If God told you that your life is to be a righteous kind of life, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God... Well, I mean, would you do it? Would you change your life if God told you to do it? You see, this is our problem. We think that because we're reading it out of the Bible, it's not as valid as if God actually said it to us in our presence. That's our problem. Our problem is we minimize the Scripture, and for some reason we don't give it the credence and the credibility and the value that they otherwise would have. If God actually said this to me in person, and if God actually said this to me audibly and I could hear it, uh, then I would do what God has said. But the fact of the matter is God has spoken, and God has spoken through His Word, which the Bible calls the Scripture, that which is written down. If God told you to do something in the Scripture, would you do it? If he told you to do something on that great day, would you take your shoes off? What would your reaction be? This is our problem, and this is what we need. If we could change something in the beginning of a new year, let it be this. Let us grow in reverence and respect and submission to the written Word of God. That's our problem. Our problem is for some reason we think because it's written down, it's not as important. It's minimized in its effect. It, it's not as valuable as if God actually did the talking himself. And for that reason, I can get by without doing what God has said. For that reason, it really doesn't mean as much when I do not do what the revealed Scripture tells me to do. Oh, when they heard God talk. They were filled with fear, respect, reverence. What's the attitude we've got when we hear God talk? God's talking to us through the Word of God. When God said, let there be light, it was light. When God saw these particular matters, they were done as they should be just as God wanted. Never compromise on the Word of God. Never minimize the written Word of God. Understand that it has been written down, that it is God speaking to us through His Word and we can understand it. That we know what God wants us to do. <clears throat> the question is, will we do it? Now, I got another point that I saw in this particular matter, and I have to be quick about this, and I'll have to run this over again for tonight. Because I want to talk more about this. It's an important matter to me, and I know it's an important matter to you. 
because I know you, and I know that you love the Word of God, and, and these are important matters to you. But when I read in Matthew chapter 22 and 31, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read? So why don't we focus on that for a minute? When's the last time we read it? Now, the problem that the Sadducees had, they didn't respect the Word of God. They didn't read the Scripture. But what about us? Have we read the Scriptures? The Scriptures are given to us so that we might read them. It's an amazing thing to me as I think about it, God's providential care, and that God was able providentially to bring His divine Word to us in a language we can understand. I mean, we don't understand Greek, we don't understand Hebrew, we don't understand Aramaic. We don't understand that. We don't go around speaking that today. But yet, I can understand what God has said because God providentially has brought all this up and marshaled these particular aspects so that I can pick it up in one volume and read it in a language I can understand. That is amazing. But it's got to be read. In the book of Revelation, Revelation 1, the verse that I'm thinking about is verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now the Bible passage, Revelation 1 and verse 3, and notice what he's saying in that particular passage of Scripture. Blessed are those who read. And those who keep. Are we reading the Bible? Sadducees weren't reading the Bible. Sadducees were confused about a very basic aspect, the resurrection, in which Jesus had taught that all are going to be raised from the dead. Those who have done good unto the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil unto the resurrection of condemnation. But there's going to be a general resurrection of all men everywhere, no matter who they are, where they are, or what they've done. They didn't believe that. They didn't believe the Scripture. What was written down? They didn't read it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, the passage I alluded to a moment ago, found for us in about verse 13, what I want to emphasize for the present. And he's giving instructions to the young man Timothy as to how to handle things with regard to the local congregation. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you. Don't forget to read the Word of God until I come. Don't neglect the idea of reading the Scripture. Read the Scripture and learn what God has said. And don't get the idea that simply because I'm reading it from the Bible that somehow it doesn't count. Somehow it's not as important as if God had actually said it in person. I am reminded of a Bible passage that is extremely important given this particular subject. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read just a few verses out of that. And this is a prison epistle of the Apostle Paul, and it really talks about the greatness of the church, and it really talks about God's divine purpose and God's divine plan to bring Jew and Gentile into the one church that both men, women, young boys, young girls at the age of accountability will understand and can obey freely, repent of their sins and be baptized, how that they need to respond 
And this is all God's divine plan, Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. God told me, God told me what it was about. As I have written briefly, now verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now that's the mystery. And you can read it. And you can understand it. That God wants all men everywhere to obey the gospel of Christ. You see, God has spoken. And He has spoken through His Word, the Scripture but I've got to read it. And when I do read it, I can understand it for what it really means. I've got another passage in my mind. My time's running out, but I'm still trying to develop a point. But I want to work on this even tonight, Lord willing. And I'm in Colossians chapter 4 now. This is another great prison epistle to the Apostle Paul. You've got two chapters that are very practical in Colossians. You've got chapter 3 and 4 that are, are doctrinal. I should have said one and two is very doctrinal. Three and four are very practical. And I'm in the very practical section with regard to the book of Colossians. And I come to verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, he's talking about the church at Colossae. And he's talking about the letter which the Apostle Paul has just written from a prison cell. Have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Read it. You can read it, and you can understand it. We just have to exercise the time and the energy to do it. Now, if you came into this auditorium today out there in that foyer, you saw a pedestal there that had a bulletin. And the bulletin is in your boxes out there. I hope you get it. A lot of time is spent on this bulletin. And Debbie, thank you very much for helping me with it. And insert into the, today's bulletin is a daily Bible reading schedule. Now, we worked on this particular matter, not only to tell you it's important to read, but to help you read. And in helping you read, there's a little checkbox to each day beginning in January. You start January 1 and you start reading Genesis 1 through 3, and when you finish that, there's a space there in that box. Check it off. And if you go all the way down through this particular reading, and on the front and on the back, you're going to read the entire Bible in one year this year. If the Lord allows this year to stand, you'll be able to work your way all the way through the Bible. There are so many people who have never read all the way through the Bible. This is an opportunity for you to do this. This is the first day of 2023, which is amazing to me how that we could be at 2023. I can't hardly imagine it. But at the same time, this is an opportunity for you and for me to read the Bible. 
And I'm going to encourage you to take this schedule, which we have provided for you, and you start reading your Bible every single day, realizing I'm reading the words of God. And that I can understand the Word of God and understand what God wants me to do. I'm reading it. Do you know that if you read the New Testament, nine chapters a day, you'd read the New Testament in 30 days. Do you know that? So I said, nine chapters? That's all. I'd take you just a few minutes to read nine chapters. You read nine chapters every day. Start at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. You'll be going your way all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation in 30 days. You follow this particular reading program, this design here. It's designed to read just a few chapters every single day. And you find that special time, the opportunity which you have to read the Word of God and come to a better understanding and look at our understanding and knowledge of to what it would be like when this congregation is reading the Word of God every day and is thinking about it and, and doing it to the best of their ability. Look at the growth and the spiritual maturity that will be ours as we read God's Word. Word of God. Somebody said, well, this is a big book. This is a big book. I'll tell you what. One of my favorite novels was by Herman Melville, Moby Dick. Man, I thought that was the greatest book. I don't know how many times I've read that. The Bible's a little bigger than that. But then there's another series out there everybody's read, and that's this saga of Harry Potter, this crazy kid that does all this stuff. The Bible's not as big as that. Why, the saga of Harry Potter's a whole lot bigger than the Bible. And you can read the Bible a whole lot sooner and make more sense than that. Now, I've read all those books. I've seen all the movies. I have to confess to you, it bothers me. My conscience bothers me when I read things like that because I'm saying to my mind, I'm not learning anything new here. This is just some kind of fanciful tale, and I'm not getting anything out of this other than it's just some kind of tale. I'm not learning anything new out of this, and my conscience kind of bothers me. But I push myself because everybody's reading Harry Potter, whatever that kid is doing. I didn't like the way the thing ended up, but that's another matter. The point of the matter is, you can read it. It's not nearly as big, the Bible, as Harry Potter is. Let's read God's Word. Now, I want to talk about the Bible more tonight, because there's another point or two out of this passage of Scripture, Matthew 22, 23 through 33, that needs to be explained and discussed. Lord willing, I'll do that. And my point today is to try to give us a better understanding of the sacredness of the Word of God and how important it is for you and I to understand it because I'm going to be judged by it. Have you done what God has told you to do? Have you repented of your sins and obeyed the gospel of Christ? Have you been immersed in water for the remission of sins as the Bible teaches, Acts 2, verse 38? Have you lived the Christ-like life that Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, if you haven't, now's the time to start. And I urge you to come and obey the gospel today. Or to repent of sin like old Simon had to do in Acts chapter 8. And I urge you to do it now. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?